Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Nice to have you with us today. We begin our program with the University of Exeter, which is in the United Kingdom, a study about zinc. And this study shows that of all the women getting vaginal yeast infections, which is very common, in fact, about one-third of all women will develop yeast infections in a lifetime. And some have it so regularly, about every three months, they're taking medications and frequently antibiotics, and it's very discomforting. There, there can be all forms of, of odors and pain. So anyhow, they use zinc, and they found zinc really works. They put it in a, a cream. The women use the cream topically in the vagina at night for three weeks and help clear up the uh, yeast infection, also known as thrush. And I remember at the Tri-State Healing Center, we had a lot of people with AIDS, full-blown AIDS and ARC, who had thrush. In one case, it was so bad that the person every several hours had to take a little scoop, wooden scoop, and clean the tongue because thrush would build up in the mouth. It looked like someone put cotton balls in a guy's mouth. And imagine then that you end up uh, taking a, an MRI and you see thrush in the lungs, and that can kill you. So we used um, high-dose vitamin C, that knocked it out. Caprylic acid, having him juice whole, whole grapefruit, skin, seed, and all, and then taking bitter melon juice. And in all cases, we were able to get rid of the thrush and the vaginal yeast infections, but also there's anal uh, thrush and anal candida building up, which gives off terrible odors. And people don't know where's these odor coming from. If you got it in your intestine, just breathing, you get this very fetid, putrid smell coming out of your mouth. That's frequently candida. So people brush their teeth, they cleanse their tongue, they use a mouthwash, they, they use a water pick, and yet the, vac the, the smells come out. So getting your intestine clean, getting good probiotics in there, getting away from sugars, which feed yeast, and uh, yeasty foods like pretzels and potato chips and, and, uh, and bagels, uh, french fries, uh, bread, all that feeds yeast. So you go on a yeast-free diet, and you take these things, and especially zinc, about 30 milligrams a day, and helps clean it up. Also, Harvard Medical School and Geisen University in Germany found that meditation can grow your brain in just eight weeks. That's correct. A team led by Dr. Lazar, a neurologist at Harvard Medical School, have discovered that meditating for just eight weeks can fuel gray matter in the hippocampus, and that promotes healthy brain growth. And more specifically, the practice of meditation can spark measurable changes in brain regions associated with memory, a sense of self, empathy, and stress. Wow. Shouldn't it be mandatory that all police, all judges, and all politicians, and all lawyers have at least eight weeks, once a year, of meditation training to give them some empathy? Uh, yes, but they won't. In any case, so do your meditation. You'll have a better, much better uh, control over your memory and emotions. And that's important. And empathy. And uh, it also helps in the cerebellum as well. 
which coordinates movement. So if you're a senior citizen, you definitely should be doing meditation for all the good reasons. Now, from the University of Reading, which is in the United Kingdom, being alone, but not being lonely, is good. Because it's solitude boosts well-being. Now, in new research in the University of Reading sheds light on the complex relationship between time spent alone and mental health. The study was published in Scientific Reports, and it reveals that solitude has both benefits and cost for well-being. Researchers tracked a large group of adults, 35 and older, uh, for 21 days using daily diaries and how much time the individual spent alone versus interacting with others. And participants also reported daily measures of stress, life satisfaction, autonomy, and loneliness. And the results showed there was no clear optimal balance between solitude and social time. There was no such thing as spending the right number of hours in solitude. Spending more hours alone was linked with increased feelings of reduced stress, suggesting solitude's calming effects. A day with more time in solitude also related to feeling freedom to choose and be oneself. However, greater solitude was not all good. On days with more hours spent alone, people also reported feeling lonely and less satisfied, highlighting potential effects of social isolation. In all, everyday solitude had both beneficial and harmful effects. But I'll tell you this, having, having lived in New York since I got there on J June 5th, 1965, on a Greyhound bus with 12 bucks in my pocket, and my first night, since I had no money for a hotel room, or even, even the YMCA was $3.50 for the night. I, someone had stolen that out of my pocket when I was in the uh, shaving and brushed my teeth after a long bus drive. And so I spent the first night sleeping on a bench in Central Park. True story. And uh, listening to Tom Jones' uh, music across at a wedding party in the Plaza Hotel. Was I alone? You bet. Was I lonely? Yes. And the next morning I had a choice make a call to my mom, to Western Union, enough money to go back on a, a Greyhound bus, or stay and see what this city had to offer. I knew what my hometown had to offer. No growth, sameness, stability, and the same job for the rest of your life, retire. So I could have written on my day of graduating from high school the rest of my life if I was the average person growing up, and I didn't want that. My parents didn't want it. They're the ones who told me, leave town, and because this is not a town for your type of thinking. And she was right, and thank goodness that she had far more wisdom uh, about human nature than I did. But then I also realized that with this hectic a schedule, once I get into all the things that were happening in my life when I, about a year or two later, and uh, I needed solitude, all creative people need solitude for a period of time. Now, depending upon the swinging of that pendulum from being very involved in your, your relationship, where your relationship is everything, you just adore the people, you want to be with the people and share every moment. You can't wait to wake up in the morning to look at the person in your life because you're so much in love with them. That's important for creative people. 
But then the pendulum swings back, and this is where it gets very confusing. Suddenly, that relationship becomes less important, and your creation and your work becomes more important because you're creating, and you have to honor that part of you. That's who you are. You're extremely empathetic. You have very strong emotions. You have deep senses of feeling for people because that's what motivates you to create. And so then you go into this creation, but that itself can be very disarming if people don't know that about you. And so then one day you're finding yourself working long hours, you're not exhausted, you don't, you don't feel overwhelmed, you feel impassioned. I mean, people can go to sleep on mats in front of their artwork so that they wake up in the morning with whatever ideas they have right there and then instantaneously and extemporaneously creating. For someone who is not an artist, they can't always appreciate that art. And I'm an artist. Why do you think I did all my inventions and, and my, you haven't seen my paintings, you haven't seen my uh, fashion designs, you, you haven't seen all the, the poetry that I wrote, it was published 200 poems and, and won these awards. You haven't, I haven't shared any of that. But also, there's a dynamic energy involved as well creative, assertive, and dynamic, supportive, uh, dynamic, assertive together. I'm not going to get into that now. That's not the time place. I wrote a book on it called Life Energies. I did a documentary called Life Energies. It's really been helping a lot of people. But what I'm saying is I'm sitting here now in an animal sanctuary in Florida. Do I enjoy this? I love this. This is where my heart says I have to be helping animals that were abused and beaten and help rescue them, bring them back to life, and give them love and attention till they can say, I can say they're ready, and then find them a loving home for life. Now, I've done this my entire adult life, upstate, here. But that time alone is important, but time with people, doing things. I love the life in New York of going to the movies and the plays and the off-Broadway and the experimental theaters and, and the lectures and interfacing with people and having that dynamic exchange, that's essential in life too, but not to where you burn yourself out. Both can burn yourself out. Both can imbalance you. Too much time alone and not enough time alone. And that's why even in marriages, especially with children, you ask the average parent after about two or three years, do you need a break? And everyone's going to say, I need a break. I need a big break. We have to be able to build into our own relationship with ourself and life and our commitment to others. Time out. Take a break. Give yourself a respite. If not, you're going to burn out. And then the dark side will manifest. And we don't want that. Remember, someone just told me, they just attended a Tony Robbins uh, like one of these 16-hour straight days, and I disagree with that completely. I'm totally against that. I'm not against the messages. Like a lot of things Deepak and Wayne Dyer and some of the other motivational speakers have to share are valid. No question about that. But it's how you go about sharing that message. And that's where I, I challenge it. And now the person said that they're, they're getting rid of everything in their past. They're cleaning out everything in their past. And now they're just free to be who they are. And I said, nonsense. That is such a myth. That is such a deception. 
you can never get rid of anything from your past. Everything from your past, every thought, every memory, every taste, every sound, every comment, every feeling is there for the rest of your life. You can't just erase a neuron. You can't empty out a cell of its content. By the time you're 60, you have 600 million memories. And you're going to expunge the ones you don't like because you took a Tony Robbins class? That's that's it. God, oh, these people do not think deeply enough. The key to life is not to become so enamored with the idea of some new age philosophy and some commercial spiritualism, that's all it is, is that, oh, I no longer have to think about anything from my past. No, you shouldn't allow your thoughts from the past that are negative to control your thoughts that are positive from the present. And therefore, the duality of life, you have it every second in your life. You can be positive or negative. You can be kind or unkind. You can be creative or destructive. You can be your opposite because your opposite is always present. Every second you are alive. How you choose to use one versus the other to say no to those negative actions and thoughts and impulses and say yes to those that are more enlightened and more spiritual, that is the art of living. And you cannot do that if you're living through tribal impulses and conditioned responses to ritualize superstitions and dogmas. And that's why I said yesterday, without explaining deeper context, 90% of the people will never change what is most important to change in order to be free to make better choices. And we see that every day in everything in our lives. Just want to share that little aside. I'll be doing a classroom on the air as soon as the, the, I get my studio fixed here. And I'll do an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it takes to get this message out and go really deep into it, I'm going to do. Anyhow, and finally, um, ozone, get this, and this is from the Federal University of Sao Paulo School of Medicine, ozone gas injections, that's autohemiotherapy, may do the trick for knee osteoarthritis sufferers. Injecting ozone gas, which, by the way, all holistic practitioners have been doing for decades, into need reduces pain and improves functioning and quality of life in people with knee osteoarthritis. And this was uh, presented at the American College of Rheumatology annual meeting. How about that? So something that we were told, well, ozone injecting, it doesn't do anything. Yes, it does. For cancer, for chronic fatigue syndrome, you bet. For bacterial infections, absolutely. I did a, a dark documentary on ozone. There are 5,000 published studies 20 years ago on ozone, and yet the average doctor never read any of them. So now you know. That's the latest on health and healing. We're going to take a break and come right back. Please stay with us. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. We have believed that there was a conspiracy in the JFK assassination. But where is the hard proof? There have been hundreds of books written on it, but there's brand new information. I promised you yesterday I would share this information today. Let's go to the interview right now for a whole new look at the fact that there had to have been at least one other shooter. Let's bring in author James Robinault, who penned a Vanity Fair article, spoke with Landis, 
thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I had a chance to read your article. How significant is this new account if it is, in fact, true? Well, it is the biggest news since 1964 when the Warren Commission issued its report. Uh, this is brand new information. It was never shared until now. And Paul Landis, who's the uh, Secret Service agent we're talking about, Jackie Kennedy's Secret Service agent, was there that day. He was in the follow-on car called Halfback, and he saw the, has, uh, the president's head explode. You, you can see him in the film uh, and in all the photographs in the car right behind the limousine. They then sped to Parkland Hospital with the president, mortally wounded. And when they got there, Paul jumped out of halfback and with uh, fellow agent Clint Hill tried to get Mrs. Kennedy to let go of the president, who she cradled in her lap. She would not do so for quite a while. Finally, Clint took his coat off and put it over the president's head, and she agreed to get up. When she stood up, he saw two bullet fragments on the uh, actual seat itself, and then up on the ledge, right behind where Kennedy's back would have hit the ledge when he was hit with the final shot, um, was this intact, pristine bullet that he picked up and took with him into the hospital. Once he was in the hospital, he left it on Kennedy's stretcher. He and Mrs. Kennedy were in trauma room one for about a minute, and he left it on the stretcher, knowing Kennedy was uh, mortally wounded and dead and wanted the the uh, bullet to be with his body at the time of the autopsy. So it's hugely significant because it, it completely undercuts the Warren Commission's single bullet theory. It truly does, James. I mean, at the heart of this account, this this largely intact bullet, that, that how did it wind up on the ledge of that back seat? Yeah, I mean, as I wrote in Vanity Fair, we're never going to know for yeah. sure, but um, what seems to have happened is Kennedy was shot right back here um, in his upper shoulder, not in his neck, as the Warren Commission said, but upper shoulder. And it appears the bullet was undercharged, which happened with these World War II vintage bullets that uh, was, were being used. So it was sticking out of his back. The final shot pushes him back violently against the, uh, the, uh, the chair that he's sitting in, the, the back seat. And it either dislodged at that point on its own, or you can see in this film you're showing, the Zabruder film, Mrs. Kennedy has her arms around him and literally brushes the area where that bullet would have been sticking out. Uh, and it may have gotten put into her uh, clothing because as you know, she then turned and tried to grab a piece of his skull that had been blasted onto the back of the car. And she stretches way out over uh, before Clint Hill saves her and puts her back in. Right where she stretched over, if it was in her clothing, is where Paul found the bullet. So one of those two ways, I think, is how it got there. I mean, James, this is so fascinating. All of these decades later, you know, Americans, you know, and people around the world, I think, are so fascinated about this. But let's talk about motivation. Why do you think Paul Landis is choosing to come forward at this point? He is 88 years old. I know you said, uh, he, you know, he's very physically active. He certainly has his wits about him. But how confident should we feel about his ability to remember after so much time? I mean, it's hard for all of us. It can be hard to remember what we did last week. I know. You know, I, I, I was very skeptical when I read the book, and I've spent about 15 sessions with him working through all of this. I, and I can tell you his memory is better than mine. I wish I had as good a memory as he does. 
But, you know, if you say to anybody my age or older, where were you on the day Kennedy was assassinated, they know exactly where they were and who they were with and what happened. It's an indelible memory. Same with 9-11 today. You ask people of the younger generation, what, where were they on 9-11? They all remember that. Do you remember the day before? No. Do you remember the day after? No. But that day you do remember. So it's a very indelible memory for him. And, you know, he's he's coming forward now because 10 years ago he read a book for the first time about the assassination and saw that they had this central fact wrong that the they that they said they found the bullet on Conley's Governor Conley's stretcher. And Paul was like, no, I brought that bullet in and left it on JFK's stretcher. So they had this fundamental fact wrong, and he began to ask people about it and then decided to write his book. But it's taken uh, a period of time because he's not a writer. You know, right. he had to get this all together. So, you know, this calls into question, again, the whole lone gunman uh, theory. Do you think Lee Harvey Oswald did act alone, especially if this information from Landis is true? But here's the problem. If, if it stuck in Kennedy's back and did not transit and then hit Governor Conley, you can see on the Zabruder film that Kennedy is reacting to being shot as he comes out from behind that sign, and a second later, Conley reacts. It is, it is not enough time for Lee Harvey Oswald to do his bold action, which takes at least 2.3 seconds to you know turn it and aim and fire. Um, so a second is too soon. It means Oswald couldn't have hit Kennedy with the first bullet and then Conley with the second bullet. So if that's true and it really did stick in his back and there was a second bullet, it really raises exponentially the possibility that there was a second shooter. And if that's true, there may have been multiple shooters. So it, it really changes everything. Now, when you watch the video that you just heard about, you will see in the actual video the Secret Service agent being waved off the back of the car the president's car to protect him from being shot from behind. And he doesn't understand it. And he shrugs his shoulders. He's got his arms out. He's saying, what, what, what's going on? And he does that three times. And all that was there all along. And we never knew it. But that person just told the story. What has happened? Now, for the last 22 years, why haven't we had special committee hearings in the House and the Senate on, for example, the CDC's intentionally, and with malice aforethought, suppressing information on the MMR vaccine, causing a 325% increase in autism for the kids that got the MMR vaccine because it was covered up. Why? Why didn't Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or Mitch McConnell, why didn't any of them ask for this? Probably because of pressure from pharmaceutical industries and the CDC and the deep state. Now, for the first time in 22 years, we're having hearings on things that are important and people are being held accountable and the media is not covering any of this, but we are. Let's go to some of those clips. We're going to go from one clip to another clip. And these are people like the FBI director, which is totally corrupt. And the, uh, and remember the FBI is just one division of the department of justice and we're, we're now seeing legislators who are challenging these people for corruption at every level. None of this is making the media. But you should know that these people have been caught lying, deceiving, manipulating, breaking the law. Here are the clips, one after the other. One, uh, specific, well, Maybe you can respond yeah. in writing. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks, Senator Blumenthal. Senator Cruz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. 
Director Ray, welcome. As you know, I am deeply concerned about the conduct of both the Department of Justice and the FBI, particularly in the last three years during the Biden administration. I think the Department of Justice has been profoundly politicized under Attorney General Merrick Garland. And I think the FBI has as well. And unfortunately, I think you've been unwilling to stand up to senior career officials in the FBI who's allowed the FBI to be politicized. I'll tell you, I regularly speak with FBI agents across the country who are unhappy about the integrity of the institution being weakened because DOJ is being treated as a political weapon. I want to talk in particular about the investigation into multiple allegations of corruption concerning Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Because the Department of Justice has, I think from the outset, tried at every step to stop investigation into corruption from Joe Biden. As you're aware, a WhatsApp text message was sent to Henry Zhao, a senior Chinese communist, from Hunter Biden that reads as follows. I'm sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand. And now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows, and my ability to hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Now, Democrats and those in the media trying to defend the White House repeatedly say there is no direct evidence of Joe Biden's involvement in his son's corruption. Well, this is a text that is direct evidence that is stating that it is his father that is going to retaliate. Now, an IRS whistleblower, Gary Shapley, testified before the House of Representatives that the natural step he wanted to follow was to determine whether Joe Biden was in fact sitting next to his father when this threat was made to extort millions of dollars from a Chinese communist. And what the IRS whistleblower testified is that when he tried to find out whether Joe Biden was sitting next to Hunter, that the DOJ blocked getting the GPS data on Joe Biden's phone? Did the FBI try to ascertain where Hunter Biden was and where Joe Biden was when this text was sent? Well, I think the questions you're asking uh, go to the ongoing investigation being led by Special Counsel Weiss. And so I'm, I'm not going to be able to discuss what is or isn't in scope. So look, that. there's been testimony under oath from the IRS whistleblower that you did not seek the GPS data. And you're right, David Weiss, the special prosecutor, is in charge of it. And it is David Weiss and his underlings who, the, according to the IRS whistleblowers, have alleged that they're the ones trying to stop the investigation. They allowed the statute of limitations to run on many of the most serious violations. Not only that, IRS whistleblower Shapley testified that on September 3rd, Assistant U.S. Attorney Leslie Wolf explicitly told investigators that despite having probable cause to search, quote, there is no way a search warrant would be approved when the evidence in question was located inside of Vice President Biden's guest house. Wolf stated that, quote, the optics prevented such a search. 
Is the FBI, do they make a routine practice of allowing partisan political optics to prevent investigating serious evidence of corruption? My instructions to our people on this and on every other investigation are that we are to follow the facts wherever they lead, no matter who likes it, no matter what political influence there may be out there. Then why did you get the GPS there. data on where Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were? Again, Senator, with respect, I can't discuss but, but it's an not ongoing with respect. investigation. And, and, and Director Ray, you and I have gone round and round on this, because I understand. Anytime you're asked about this, the answer is it's an ongoing investigation. Of course, the investigation isn't ongoing. You're not doing the work. You've got whistleblowers pointing out that you're not doing the work and you are hiding behind the skirts of the Attorney General. Look, the whistleblower also testified that the Attorney General, when he came before Congress, go to the next chart, came before Congress, lied under oath to this committee. The Attorney General testified to this committee in response to my questioning, I have pledged not to interfere with the Hunter Biden investigation, and I have carried through on that pledge. The IRS whistleblowers have alleged the Attorney General lied under oath a felony. Was the Attorney General telling the truth when he said this? Do, do we have the chart? We don't have the chart. Was the Attorney General telling the truth when he said, I have pledged not to interfere with the Hunter Biden investigation and I have carried through on my pledge? Again, I, I can't speak to the Attorney General's testimony. I can only tell you what my instructions have been to our people. Has, and the, has I expect there been those political be interference in the investigation into Hunter Biden and Joe Biden? Not that I have experienced. Were the investigators allowed to investigate whether Joe Biden was complicit in the corruption? Again, there is an ongoing investigation. I'm asking you about corruption led. from DOJ. Were I, they allowed to investigate Joe Biden or? Is the whistleblower telling the truth that DOJ said, Joe Biden's off limits, no questions about the big guy? And as to what is in scope or not in scope of the ongoing investigation, I would refer you to Special Counsel Weiss. That is not me hiding behind anything, Senator. That is a longstanding policy that has been in place Director through multiple Ray, you, administrations you have a going back years and years have and years. a responsibility to the FBI not to allow it to be a partisan tool and a partisan weapon. The testimony, and by the way, the FBI has done nothing. And I have not, and I will not. Have you opened an investigation into whether the Attorney General lied under oath to Congress and whether the Attorney General obstructed justice? I'm not going to go down that road here. I, I know you're not. That's the point. Nobody thinks you've opened an investigation because you're not willing to. And the amazing thing is, Director Ray, I've known you 30 years. You're not a partisan Democrat. You're simply sitting blithely by while career partisans in your agency allow it to be weaponized. And you are damaging the FBI, and you are damaging the Department of Justice. Let me ask you also, the whistleblower testified that investigators wanted to execute a search warrant on a storage unit used by Hunter Biden, and instead they tipped off Hunter Biden's lawyer before the search warrant was carried out. Is it typical FBI practice to tip off the subject of a search warrant before the search warrant so they can remove any evidence that's incriminating? What is typical is that when you're dealing with an individual who has a protective detail, uh, it is typical for agents to be in contact with the, the subject's the protective, protective detail, detail. Does the protective detail guard the, the storage unit? Again, I can't speak to the storage unit specifically, but I can tell you is that why, when it comes to... Why would the FBI tip off the subject of a search warrant about the storage unit that was going to be searched beforehand. Does that not undermine the very essence of an investigation that DOJ is purporting 
to undertake? Again, I'm not going to be able to discuss specific investigative settings. But who that we're is? If you're not, nobody answers these questions, and it's why people are furious with the cover-up, because you don't believe the FBI is accountable to Congress or to the American people. Thanks, Senator Kuhn. Senator Lee. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Director Ray, for being here. In a report issued uh, declassified in August of 2021, the Director of National Intelligence stated, quote, FBI personnel conducted multiple queries of an individual who had the same last name as the FBI personnel conducting the query. And on further investigation, what they learned was that this uh, query was made after this uh, analyst at the FBI had a conversation with his own mother, and his mother expressed suspicions about his father having an affair, cheating uh, 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 on her, uh, uh, having an affair with another woman. And so as a result of that, um, they looked into it, and the, the, this particular analyst admitted that he ran the queries because of this tip from his mother that his dad was having an affair. Uh, and because I've got a lot of material to cover, I'd, I'd appreciate it if you could give me a yes or no answer to this. Was that analyst terminated? Uh, I'm not sure that I can recall the specific instance that you're talking about, so I'll have to go look at that and follow back up with you on that. And do you know whether the analyst's security clearance would have been revoked? Uh, again, same answer, but let me check into that, and we'll, we'll circle back to hey, whatever you, we can share. Let me ask it to you this way, uh, yes or no. Uh, would abuse of Section 702 by an FBI employee, would that be something that would warrant the revocation of security clearance? Well, certainly abuse. Uh, I think we'd have to know what the circumstances Misuse were. Sometimes something. people have used terms like abuse in this discussion when it's been something other than what I would call abuse, but there have been, that's why we have this accountability procedures that have cascading This example that I've given you is abuse. I assume you would uh, not disagree with that. Now, the September 2023 PCLOB report disclosed two additional intentional incidents, uh, intentional wrong searches from 2022. One instance from 2022 in which two analysts conducted queries seeking information about a person who was a potential tenant of a rental property owned by one of the analysts. And another instance from 2022 in which an NSA analyst conducted queries on two occasions, seeking information about two individuals that the analyst himself had met through an online dating service. Were the FBI employees who conducted those two illegal searches, were they terminated? Well, you lost me there for a minute. You referred to an NSA analyst? Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, NSA analyst, do you know whether anyone at the NSA uh, uh, was disciplined for that, and if they worked at the FBI, would they be subject to discipline? Well, I, I don't want to get into hypotheticals, but as far as NSA analysts, I think that would be a question for, for NSA. Now, were FBI employees uh, involved in those? Uh, uh, and if they had been, would their security clearances have been terminated? Well, again, I, I don't want to get into hypotheticals, but we have, uh, the, we have both the disciplinary process which is separate from the security clearance process, yeah. and somebody who uh, takes, uh, who engages in a I, compliance violation related to 702 could be relevant to both. I understand. Yeah. I, I would hope that the default answer would be yes, they'd be subject to having their security clearance stripped and be subject to dismissal. Now, in an April 2022 opinion, the, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court noted the following searches of Americans' communications. 19,000 donors to a particular congressional campaign, 133 Americans participating in civil unrest and protests, 
in the summer of 2020, and um, Americans who were in the vicinity of the Capitol, uh, not necessarily inside the Capitol, but in the vicinity of the Capitol on January 6, 2021. The DNI's semiannual assessment of Section 702 disclosed illegal queries conducted in 2019 to 2020, quote, using only the name of a U.S. congressman. The FISA court disclosed two particularly egregious searches from 2022. In June of 2022, an analyst conducted four queries of 702 information using the last names of a U.S. senator and of a state senator without further limitation. On October 25th, 2020, a staff's operations specialist ran a query using the social security number of a state judge who had, quote, complained to FBI about alleged civil rights violations perpetrated by a municipal chief of police, close quote. Were the FBI employees who conducted those illegal searches terminated, or did they have their security clearances stripped? Yes or no? Again, I don't know that I can speak to specific instances, but what I can tell you, and I think this is important to this exchange, is that all of the instances you just listed off all involve conduct that occurred before the reforms that before we put in place. Before the reforms you put in place, reforms, the text of which we don't even have access to, reforms that you've put in place. I've been on this committee for 13 years. During the entirety of those 13 years, I've expressed concerns to FBI directors appointed by presidents of both political parties and three different presidential administrations. Every darn one of them has told me the same thing. Don't worry about it. We've got this taken care of. We've got new procedures. It's going to be different now. It's never different. You haven't changed. And you keep referring to these policies, these new procedures. We haven't seen that. We're not even allowed to have access to it. And we have absolutely no reason to trust you because you haven't behaved in a manner that's trustworthy. You can't even, as we sit here, tell me that people who intentionally, knowingly, deliberately violated the civil rights of American citizens, that, that they were fired or that they had their security clearance stripped. Now, in 2022, FBI and other agencies searched Americans' communications over 200,000 times, only 16 of which were evidence of a crime-only searches that returned information. I'd like to ask you to, to give a, a yes or a no uh, answer to these questions. Were the three related batch queries consisting of over, over 23,000 separate queries relating to the events of January 6th, were those evidence of a crime-only queries, yes or no? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. The answer, what is, I can't, what, the answer is no. I, what I do I, know the answer. The answer what, is no. Were there 141 okay. I, queries for the activists arrested in connection with the uh, George Floyd protests uh, here in Washington, D.C., evidence of a crime-only queries? Those were non-compliant queries. Uh, and again, they all predate the reforms that we've put in place, which, which before echo we, other reforms that ever, other FBI directors which have told me about to, every darn year. If How about I may, the 19,000 donors to a political campaign? The answer there is no. What about the query for a sitting member of Congress? The answer there is no. What about the query involving a U.S. Senator, which for all we know could be any one of us? The answer is no. And so what, what does that tell me? Well, what I'm hearing and what these data points all point to is that a warrant requirement or prohibition relating to quote unquote evidence of a crime only queries would not have been uh, something that would have prevented any of the most egregious examples of the abuse that we've seen under Section 702. So the FBI is already required to obtain a court order in some circumstances before accessing the contents of Americans' communications in the context of 702. 
They're already required for that in some circumstances. Since 2018, how many times has that requirement been triggered according to government reporting? Do you know? Are you talking about the so-called F2? Yes. Yeah, I've, uh, how many times has it been triggered? Yes. I think, it, I think there have been two instances where I think is maybe the number. 100, 103. Yeah. 103 times yeah. it's been triggered. And out of those 103 identified times, uh, the FBI should have obtained a court order. How many times did the FBI actually obtain one? Do you know? By that, I think the answer is none. Zero. So you're telling me that the FBI has completely ignored the limited court order requirement that it's already subjected to. You have the audacity to come here, and you told us that getting, uh, adding a warrant requirement to 702, even for queries involving U.S. persons on U.S. soil, that that would amount to some sort of unilateral disarmament. That, you have a lot of gall, sir. This is disgraceful. The Fourth Amendment requires more than that, and you know it. I know every single time for centuries, even prior to the founding of this country, there were similar protections built into the laws of the United Kingdom before we became a country. Even then, the government was making the same darn argument you're making today, which is, it's too hard. This would make it hard for the government. It's why we have a constitution, sir, and you must comply with it. Thanks, Senator Rono. Senator Holy. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Director Ray, thank you for being here. I noticed with interest in your written testimony that you said, and I'm quoting you now, the FBI uses all tools available at its disposal to combat domestic terrorism, which now apparently includes the crime of being Catholic. Let's talk a little bit about the FBI's egregious targeting of Catholic Americans. You have repeatedly been asked about the memo gener generated by the Richmond Field Office, we now know in collaboration with multiple other field offices about recruiting sources in Catholic churches, you have repeatedly said that no human sources were approached. This is you on July the 12th in the House. You were asked directly by Jim Jordan, do you think that priests ought to be approached to give information on parishioners? You said, no, sir, no, sir. You went on to say, we do not recruit, open, or operate human sources. We do not report on religious organizations. You went on to say, this product, meaning the Richmond memo, has not resulted in any investigative action. But now we know that, in fact, FBI agents did approach a priest and a choir director to ask them to inform on parishioners. So were you lied to when you gave this testimony, or were you lying to Congress? Neither. So the, you are, your question conflates two different things. Uh, there's the intelligence product itself, uh, which the Richmond Field Office created. It was written by, as our inspection found, by analysts in Richmond, reviewed by people in Richmond, and captioned Richmond Field Office product. Separately from that, there was an investigation of a specific individual who was amassing Molotov cocktails and posting about killing people. And it does not surprise me that there were people who knew that subject in that investigation, that is the guy building the Molotov cocktails and trying to kill people, that people talked to the witnesses who knew that person. And I think the product, the Richmond Intelligence product, which cites that investigation, is actually pretty transparent about exactly what I just said. No, I don't think so at all. In fact, a whistle, the only reason we know this is a whistleblower has come forward and told the House under oath that the FBI went and interviewed priests and choir directors in the Richmond area 
The, the House goes on to say that the FBI has repeatedly refused to disclose this information. The only reason we know it is because a whistleblower came forward with it. Just like the only reason we know about this memo is because a whistleblower came forward with it. How many other parishes around the country have priests or choir directors been approached? By the way, are, are Catholic choirs now, are, are, they, are they breeding grounds for domestic terrorism? Is this, is this your latest theory? How many other parishes have FBI agents approached priests and choir directors to ask about parishioners? Look, Senator, we do not and will not conduct investigations based on anybody's exercise of their constitutionally You have religion. done so, and your memo explicitly sure. asks for it. Those your memo labels traditional Catholics as racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists in need of investigation. You have a list of churches, a list in the memo. You've repeatedly said we don't target churches, we don't list churches. They're listed in the memo. So how many other parishes have you gone to to talk to choir directors, for heaven's sake? As I've said, know the answer to that question. <laughs> no, I don't know the answer to that question. But I can tell you that we don't investigate people for their exercise of their constantly protected, constitutionally protected religious expression. I, I that particular intelligence product is something that as soon as I saw it, I was aghast. I had it withdrawn. Really, you were aghast. I was. And, oh, really? Yes, and what sir. have you done about it? Did you fire the people who wrote it? No, I had it withdrawn. Have you fired anybody involved in it? Senator, if you will give me a chance to answer That's a your yes question. or a no. It's not hard. Have you fired anyone involved in the writing of that outrageous memo, about which, frankly, you've repeatedly misled the public? Yes or no? The individuals involved have in that you product fired anyone? Not, just a minute, were not found to have engaged in any intentional or bad faith conduct. And in fact, in fact, Senator... A number of the individuals the involved. No. A number of the individuals involved in writing that product in the Richmond office were themselves Catholics. So the notion oh, I see. that so they were targeting they, their own oh, faith oh, so they is not a jail free card. I see. I they, see. So you're I immune and they're that. immune. So we shouldn't ask questions about it. You haven't done a darn thing. You haven't fired anybody. In fact, what the House found is, what is it? You you admonished them. They were admonished. And their respective supervisors were told to engage with the Human Resources Division to ensure the deficiencies are addressed. Oh, well, I feel much better. They've been sent to bed without food. Good heavens, Director. This is one of the most outrageous targetings. You have mobilized your division, the most powerful law enforcement division in the world, against traditionalist Catholics, whatever the heck that means. And you're just told us you, you have not fired a single person. I mean, here, it gets worse. Your Richmond field office, they thought there was nothing wrong with this. The House interviewed the head of the Richmond field office. He testified. It's all here in the public report. I refer you to it, pages 12, 13, 14. He testified he saw no problem with this. He said he thought it was fine. In fact, we have internal memoranda of the members of the field office high-fiving. One peer reviewer, another member of the field office, wrote, I think this is a great product. I really enjoyed the read. Do you have a problem with systemic bigotry against Catholics in the FBI? No. Of course, as you know as well as I do, that the, the FBI cannot censor American speech. It talks about abridging speech. That our First Amendment does. At one time, I think it was during your tenure, the FBI had 80 FBI agents working with social media. Uh, encouraging social media to take down accounts and remove 
quote, disinformation and election interference. Um, a district court uh, found that the FBI and other agencies asked social media platforms to remove content and to change their moderation policies in a way that violated the First Amendment. And it went up to the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit limited the injunction, but here's what the Fifth Circuit said. The FBI, quote, likely coerced the platforms into moderating content and encouraged them to do so by effecting changes in their moderation policies, end quote, in violation of the First Amendment. The FBI agreed with the plaintiffs that, quote, I'm quoting the Fifth Circuit, Federal, agencies, federal agents ran afoul of the First Amendment by coercing and significantly encouraging social media platforms to censor disfavored speech, including by threats of adverse government action, like antitrust enforcement and legal reforms. That's serious. Is the Fifth Circuit wrong? Well, as you may know, uh, first off, let me just say the opinions talk about a whole bunch of other executive agencies besides the FBI, and, and I'm not going to speak to what the other agencies did or didn't do. But well, as you weren't the, the only one. It but, was the White uh, House. But it just, was Homeland Security. But, 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 but your folks were there, too, all 80 of them, 80 agents. Well, but combing social media every day, calling Twitter, calling Facebook, take that down. Get rid of that account. And it wasn't just on election interference. It was on COVID vaccines. It was on lockdowns. So a couple things, uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to clarify this. So first, on things like COVID vaccines and stuff like that, uh, the FBI had no role in telling anybody to take anything down. Uh, in fact, as you may know, the FBI was the only agency back at that time, and the only agency in the entire intelligence community to reach the, con the conclusion to moderate confidence that uh, the origins of the pandemic were most likely a lab leak uh, in China. We were the only agency, uh, so we most certainly were not <laughs> encouraging anybody uh, to uh, communicate differently on that. Second, even on the topics we did communicate with social media companies about, from everything I've seen, we in fact did not instruct anybody to take uh, that information down. As to the Fifth Circuit's opinion, as to the Fifth Circuit's opinion, uh, as you may also know, uh, we actually hotly contest uh, a lot of the findings, uh, and, and not just the legal conclusions, but the actual factual findings, uh, and have, uh, the department has sought Supreme Court review, asked them to vacate the injunction. The Supreme Court's not only vacated the injunction, but uh, granted cert, so I probably should Let leave it at that. Let me stop you a second. I've gone way over. I want to ask you one last question. We had, an, we, we had a controversy during the election about Mr. Hunter Biden's, Biden's laptop. And at that time, you had 80 agents interfacing with social media, doing whatever they were meeting, doing. Um, the FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop, on, got it on December 9th, 2019. The, the New York Post story, which, which a lot of the social media companies at the, 
at the suggestion of government, took down. The story came out on 10-14-2020. Why didn't the FBI just say, hey, the, 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 the laptop's real? Why didn't you just tell everybody the laptop's real? We're not vouching for what's on it, but it's real. This isn't a, 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 a fiction. Well, I, I, as you might imagine, the FBI cannot, especially in a time like that, be talking about an ongoing investigation. Second, I would tell you that at least my understanding is that both the FBI folks involved in the conversations and the Twitter folks involved in the conversations both say that the FBI did not direct Twitter to uh, suppress. But that others were story. in government. Well, I can't, again, I can't speak to others in government. Now, that's part of the point that I was trying to make because the Fifth yes, Circuit's sir, but opinion. But you're the FBI. You're not part of the White House and part of Homeland Security. You're not supposed to be political. You see all this controversy going on. Why didn't the FBI say, time out, folks? We're not getting in the middle of this, but the laptop's real. Again, we have to be very careful about what we can say, especially in the middle of uh, an election season because that's precisely some of the problems that led to my predecessor's uh, negative findings from the Inspector General. Did you hear a gavel? Thank you, Senator I heard Kennedy. A gavel. Thank you, Senator. So I want to ask you, when was the last time you heard the New York Times reporting on any of this, or the Washington Post, or MSNBC? You haven't, and you won't. So thank goodness there are some honest legislators who are challenging people on issues that otherwise they're able to break the law and get away with it because they've controlled all the different aspects. And it starts with the head of the House and the Senate because they're the ones who have to approve committee hearings and who sits on a committee. Now you know how corrupt the system is. And one final video clip shows you the truth and why, after all these years, from 1947-48, the Nakba, uh, where over 750,000 Palestinians who were living peacefully were told, get out or you're, or you're going to die. And then these are the people, and I've seen videos, by the way, I've seen documentary videos of this, where they're just shooting people. But these people are doing, they're laughing as they're telling, these are the soldiers in 1947-48, these are the soldiers who went into towns and just rounded up every person and just killed them all, men, women, and children. Flamethrowers burn them to death to take over their homes. And you wonder why there's concern to give the rights of freedom to be autonomous to the Palestinian people? This has nothing to do with justifying Hamas. I don't support Hamas, but I do support freedom to live a decent and ethical and long life for the Palestinian people and the Israeli people as well. Here's Jimmy Dore. Did you ever see this video, Jackson? Uh, it's I guess it's from a documentary called Birth of a Nation, Israel, 1940. The film Tantura. Have you heard of I this? I saw that clip. So these are... This is supposedly Israeli soldiers who did what they call the Nakba, right? Which is when they went in and they told all the Palestinians to leave. And so if they left, they would let them leave peacefully. But if they didn't leave, then they went in and killed them. And That's I, what happened. I thought that they said, hey, we want to live together. And the Palestinians said, no, we don't want to live near Jews and ran away because they thought 
the Arabs <laughs> would drive the Jews. I swear to God, this is that's what I you told. thought. That's what I was. That's what I thought. So I've been told. What you said is the very different from that. So here, I've always been told that. So here's Melissa. Watch this video. It's this is going to be unbelievably depressing. But watch this. In the war of independence, that's what they call it. We knew one simple thing. What was the one simple thing? It's either me or them. So turn it down a little. We don't have to hear his. He said it's either me or them. A state is seized by the sword. That's what my father told me. You take a country by force. Of course we killed them. We killed them without remorse. Very Buddhist. If you killed, you did a good thing. I was willing to kill, and I didn't talk to anybody about it. What about your wife? I assume you lived with her for many years. You didn't talk about it? I never told her. What would I tell her, that I was a murderer? And then he laughs. Yeah, well, that would be crazy to say that. And then he laughs. He's laughing. And that's why those women were screaming at Jackson so much, because they didn't know. Undoubtedly, it was a combination of all kinds of things of vengeance and cruelty, and people who came from, some people came from the death camps. The question is, what happened there? And that people were in such a trance that they, based on several testimonies, they released their anger on everyone they saw. He took a step back, he took out a gun, and bang, 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 he killed them all, says this guy. They removed them from their pajamas from their homes in their pajamas. They took them like cows in front of them and they killed them. During the battle, if someone raised their hands, I didn't take captives. How many people do you think you killed this way? They asked this guy. Uh, I didn't count. And he laughs. I can't really know. He gra This guy, listen to this. He grabbed a woman, young and good-looking, went into a house, prepared a bedroom, and wanted to F her. The girl came back half dead like a rag. One guy raped their, a 16-year-old girl or something of the sort, this guy says. They're all kind of laughing and smiling as they say this, This too. is like the, the, uh, the act of killing about Indonesia. Do you remember that documentary? No. Indonesia had like a crazy like massacre in like the whatever Henry Kissinger helped with, but they are all He's talking like this. But the, the, but they're all giggling. He's giggling this about them like raping the of, a sixteen-year-old. If you watch, and that's what they, killing, that's yeah. what I was told Hamas did, and why I'm supposed to hate them. But apparently, their country was founded on this, and they're all giggling about it. And that's our program for today. We're taking on some tough issues, but behind all this are power players. Do you think that the United States government and legislators? Do you think the American media would be supporting Israel? If it weren't for the deep state behind the scenes and within the deep state, the military industrial complex supplying all the weapons, profiting from this. Yeah. More to come. Have a nice day, everyone.